Good evening from Plugkit Studios in Largo, Florida. I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we are here with episode 585 of F5 Live, refreshing technology for uh, Sunday, January 24th, 2021. This show is a proud part of the Tech Podcasts Network. If it's tech, it's here. This week, Malwarebytes is hit by malware. Valve is hit with a giant fine, and AT&T TV Now's hits finally knocked it out. Wherever you are and however you're accessing our show, whether it be on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat, uh, through a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, TuneIn, or a myriad of other options, through our live stream platforms, livestream.com, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, or Periscope for right now, or on our website, plugkitslive.com. Thank you for making us a part of your day. Of course, there are two ways that you can do that. The first is you can join us live Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern by going to f5live.tv slash join us. There you can chat with us during the show, give your feedback on the topics as we talk about them, or you can always subscribe at plugkitslive.com slash subscribe. There you'll see all of our shows, including F5 Live, Pilch Point, Plugkits Live Presents, and more. And of course, can find all the ways that you can watch, listen, and follow along. Abram, how are you doing? It feels like it has been years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, honestly, I think this coming, uh, this last few days and uh, week ahead uh, might be more exhausting than CES was because I have, you know, more uh products that i'm more things that are keeping me up late like you know working on reviews of things that are uh you know have to be published at a certain time yeah um so yeah i mean it uh so i'm i'm tired but uh i have uh something really exciting to talk about during during the pilch point which i won't won't spoil here but a completely new product and and ecosystem uh, out there, which is, which is very cool. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been something that my son and I have, have been working on a lot of projects together. Uh, you know, just a slew of robot and board projects that we, that we've done, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago during CES. We had, um, I was real busy and I got in a package of, um, like raspberry Pi board boards that would go on top of your raspberry Pi to give you, um, like sensors and sensors and, and a screen, yeah. whatever. And Isaac wanted, my son who's eight wanted to play with them and cause that's what he does. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm working. I can't set it up for you. He said, no, let, let me try it. So I said, okay. And then he went he while i was working he went and he took the he took the boards it was like a, a pimeroni breakout garden is technically what it was it's like a hat thing you put on top of the raspberry pi and on top of it you put like different kinds of sensors and different type of add-on boards yeah and i came out dinner time and he's like hey let me show you and he's like and he had it all set up he had the accelerometer uh board that we had gotten with it accelerometer sensor working with the screen which had this like demo of a, like a, I guess a compass or something where you like oh, yeah. move it and like this little ball moves on the screen. Sure. And he's like, yeah, this wasn't too hard to set up, but you know, they, I couldn't find instructions on the company's website. I had to find them on GitHub. 
I was like, okay, that's good. You know, found it on GitHub. So impressive. You know, he's going to GitHub. He's going to GitHub and like downloading stuff. Um, so that um, so you know, it's all like it's all electronics all the time. Indeed. And uh, look at my messy desk. I have pieces of robots. You know, <laughs> I have I have like bags of like little doodads these are these are little buzzers that we were using for a project sure so uh, that's funny that's my uh around the uh that's my day that's my time around the studio uh for the last couple of weeks it has been uh tools everywhere you can find uh obviously we've done we've done one show our ces pre-show in front of the new backdrop but uh for our regular show uh viewers you may not have seen this yet obviously we built a whole new a whole new thing here the studio is now designed it's i'm looking at the old backdrop just <laughs> just off camera so we can continue to use that as well uh but yeah it's been it's been tools and tools and tools and then electronics in it because you can see that the leds are the the colors yeah. of the four segments wanna... of the show <laughs> I want to do something like that during CES. I had up in my like little, um, you know, shelving over there. I had an LED matrix that had a logo on it. It mm -hmm. was like going scrolling by, um, and that was my Raspberry Pi was running it. One of my Raspberry Pis was running it. Um, but then I needed the uh, the store the shelf space. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to find I have to find a better a better way in placement. <laughs> And also, you know, I wanted to find something cooler to put on it than just like, for those were all Tom Sarver shows, so it was a Tom Sarver logo. Mm -hmm. But I want to find something cooler to put on there, like some kind of data visualization of some kind. So. Right. Yeah. I. Th th this was a fun project. Uh, I, you know, I was, it, and it's not quite done uh, because the intention is that throughout the show, the colors will change between the segments as we go through, uh, I don't have the software set up for it, uh, just yet. I've been working, uh, with the, the wonderful people at, uh, at extreme cables that, that do the monster smart illuminescence products to be able to figure out how I can automate that so that our system will be able to, to change them remotely through their system. So I don't have to, you know, cut the whole thing apart and put my own controllers on there. I'd love to be able to use them as they're intended. <laughs> So I think yeah. I have a way. I just am not quite there yet. So, <laughs> but yeah, the intention is, uh, you know, for, for longtime viewers, each segment of the show has its own, its own color. And uh, so the, the back background LEDs will change to that color as the show goes on. So <laughs> that should be fun. We'll see if, <laughs> if I can get it working, but fingers crossed. But how was how was uh, CES stuff for you guys? I mean, different. It, it's uh, it, you know, there are a couple of things that were of some interest. Everything was more of an evolutionary than a revolutionary uh, change. You know, obviously we saw the new uh, laptop chips from AMD mm -hmm. and the new uh, the new mobile, you know, the new put the new push pushes from other vendors, but like, meh, you know, it wasn't 
where was the revolutionary stuff? I mean, there's very there is let's be fair, there's rarely revolutionary stuff, but the stuff that would have been like super cool, maybe there were things that I would have seen if I was at if there was a physical CES and I was there because the kind of things that were worth my time when I could actually go see in, them in person are not worth the time when it's just a press release. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, for example, every year, the last several years, I've met with a bunch of companies that do wireless power. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. like, it, it was to go see them and see like a demo of the wireless mm -hmm. power uh, was great. But to have get a PDF that says wireless power is coming someday and here's a demo we could have made if you were here uh -huh. is not does not excite me. Yeah. So uh, I can yeah, appreciate it was, that. It was you know, it was not um I don't know. It the, the joy was all the joy was all gone. Uh as, as far as I'm concerned. Like the the yeah. the joy was all gone, the 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 I mean, there were important things released in the sense that, you know, that the, the company, the major companies, AMD, Intel, NVIDIA need to iterate, and, you know, and, and make right. faster things and new things. And they were doing that kind of stuff. But, man, it just wasn't that exciting because, you know, where was the breakthrough moment? Where was the cool thing? Meh. You know, nothing, nothing impressive at all. Yeah. What was the most impressive thing you saw? Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually having trouble making a decision on that. Uh, cause we actually had a great experience. Um, because really honest to God, the way we do our show being remote, didn't change the live show all that much, except that I couldn't see my studio producers, you know, <laughs> make eye contact with Michelle. Uh, but you know, other than that, you know, our show really didn't change all that much. And in fact, you know, we were able to get some some companies on the show that normally might have been might have been a challenge because the thing they would have brought might have been big or, you know, whatever. Uh, and we we got to see it or maybe they're they're housed over at the convention center and they can't get to the sands to do the show. So, you know, we got yeah. we got to do some some pretty cool stuff. Um, you know, J5 creates always always an interesting interview. They've always got interesting, you know, computer components and stuff like that. I mean, the, the USB charging cable I use for my phone is a J five create. Um, uh, Aftershocks is a company that I've been a fan of for a while. I've got one of their headsets. Um, and uh, they came on to show um, the, uh, their headphones for those who don't know, don't go in your ears. Uh, they use bone conduction. Uh, but they sound really good, and they've just added uh, a communication headset to their lineup, which they showed off. That was really cool. Um, the Energizer Connect stuff from uh, Extreme Cable, the the sister brand to the the lights behind me. Uh, that that was boy, do they have some cool connected devices that are inexpensive <laughs> in a surprising way. Um, there was a there was a smart beehive. No way could they have brought that to the live show in Las Vegas. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's fair. That's 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 a that's a good that's a good example. So, um, Stern Pinball uh, was on the show for the first time in a couple uh, of years. 
because they're over uh, at the convention center and they're not able to get over to us oh at the sands you so. know i talked to stern pinball a little bit it didn't seem like a kind of they, they're not without you know they're not 100 percent appropriate for a tom's hardware show because right. it's, it's pinball it's not really uh, computer hardware of any kind but uh, I, I moderated a panel for showstoppers and they were on it and they were showing their Led Zeppelin pinball. Yep. Did, uh, is that, is that what, uh, they a- showed you? Absolutely. Um, and, and, <laughs> uh, we have, a, a an almost entirely pinball arcade, uh, here in Pinellas County and the day after CES ended. So that Friday they posted a picture yeah. because they received theirs. Oh, wow. And so I I, I told them, hey, you know, we just did an interview with them yesterday about what's cool about the inside of this. They're like, we cannot wait to see that. <laughs> oh, that's neat. So, yeah, they, there's there's multiple versions of it, too. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there's like a premium version. There's a standard two different de- versions. A standard of deluxe and a premium are the three traditional arcade cabinets. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it be that's pinball or, or other... Uh, those tend to be the three types of arcade cabinets, standard, deluxe, and premium. So, um, One of the ones that, that was really weird that we never let go of all week. It was our second interview <laughs> uh, on the first day, and Todd and I were never able to let go of it. It is a little portable blender that is magnet-powered, um, so you don't have uh, torque loss on the pinion. And uh, it's able to be done uh, on a battery, just like take it to the beach with you. <laughs> so that was weird and wonderful. <laughs> and we talked about it all week. <laughs> I always love when there's a product that you're like, all right, we're going to be talking about this all week long. And it's even better when it's yep. the second one. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing. There was nothing similar that I could say that about. Really. Yeah. Oh, maybe the face, maybe the razor face mask. Yeah, that was fascinating. The RGB face mask. Yeah. Yeah. Got to get chroma everywhere, right? (laughs) Well, even though I think Avram and I could probably talk about CES stuff all night, um, both sites have have a ton of CES coverage. You can go to tomshardware.com or plugkitslive.com slash CES. Uh, we are posting three uh, individual episodes per day, every day, until either we're done or I go insane. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I know you guys were were just posting them as you yeah, go. Yeah, we did. So. I, think, I think we did about 14 videos, mm-hmm. uh, 14 we actually cut some of those up into segments. So there's actually more, but we, we had 14 complete shows with different companies. I tried to share everything that I saw. (laughs) So anyway, we've got some news to get down to. So let's do that. This week's Nifty Gifties and F5 Live is proudly powered by the Microsoft Store. Whether you're looking for a new laptop, a tablet, uh, an Xbox, games, or a whole lot more, you can get them all at the Microsoft Store. And remember, the current students, faculty, parents, and active military can save up to 10% on almost everything. To find out about all of those deals and more, 
You can go to f5live.tv slash Microsoft. And uh, mentioning the Xbox, just for those who have not heard, the decision to up the price of Xbox Live has been rescinded. Uh, but that won't be one of our topics tonight, just a great PSA. Um, in our last show of last year, uh, we talked about uh, Solar Winds and the big deal that it was. Uh, if you don't remember, Solar Winds was um, hacked by a, a Russian state-sponsored organization called Cozy Bear that put a, a malicious update into their system that was then delivered to a lot of their clients. And then uh, that gave them access to the client's computers uh, because SolarWinds is a network management tool. So that basically gave them various versions of access to computer systems in the government, in big companies like Microsoft and Oracle, um, and a whole lot more. Uh, we don't know what the overall extent of this will be, but uh, the, a lot of the companies that were involved in it have now learned what the attack surface and methods look like. And because of that, um, Malwarebytes, which is a uh, malware <laughs> company, uh, was let, oh, excuse me, was informed by Microsoft, who recognized the tactics, that their Office 365 account uh, had been breached through, um, through an email scanning tool that they had installed uh, that was dormant and uh, vulnerable and that uh, their Office 365 data may have been breached. It's important to note that the actual malware bytes software itself was not affected, but anything that was in their Office 365 account might be. Uh, so that could be emails, it could be client lists, it could be uh, all kinds of, of data, but you do not have to worry about the software installed on your computer the way that the solar winds uh, thing went because they didn't get into malware bytes computers. They got into Microsoft's computers, possibly because of the solar winds uh, access. We don't know for sure, uh, but it it seems like it seems like this is the 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 attack that just keeps coming, Avram. Yeah, well. Attacks keep coming, right? Um, that's that's the bottom line. So we need to. What I really wish is that we would come up with more ways of obscuring and making unique people's identities online. Like, okay, if you've gotten like some information, like people also need to be better consumers of. I don't know, privacy information. Like, for example, maybe I'm wrong, but I really don't care about all these uh, ad companies that are dropping cookies on me to give me better ads. Like, mm -hmm. why is that a problem for me? The, if the information is anonymized, is pretty much anonymized, and they know that where I've been so they can show me some ads, show me some ads. But on the other hand, you know, we have another system where if somebody gets your social security number yeah. and a few other pieces of information, they can then go and do all kinds of horrible things as you yeah. like apply for a credit card and then ruin your credit. So like we need to find better ways of securing the important information for people 
uh, you know, customer emails. I mean, if, I, if somebody sent malware bytes an email, and they're like, oh, hey, I got a problem with my malware byte software. Like, have at it, buddy. I mean, I don't know what what that's really going to do, you know, unless the person's sending malware bytes their social security number, and I can't imagine why right. they would do that. Yeah. Um, now, you know, there's a possibility. Doctor or something. There's a possibility, of course, that through the Office 365 access, they could have potentially been able to get into an Azure account or something like that and get database, you know, encrypted passwords. We don't know, you know, the full extent of this. They're still investigating. Uh, but y- yeah, the, you know, wh- okay. So, so they see support email conversations or possibly some internal conversations or, you know, some documents on the, on the, 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 the corporate one drive or whatever. Eh, it's not, it's not quite the same thing as the solar winds attack or, or if they were to get, you know, important information about customers. But this is probably good news for a lawyer somewhere because, uh, because there's, there's issues. And I mean, you know, especially with, uh, if they have any European customers, and anything here happens to violate GDPR, um, they could be liable. So it it is it is tough, but I think we all need to live with the concept that we are going to be that our information is going to be under constant attack, mm-hmm. and sometimes people are going to get it, which is why we need to each person needs to limit their attack surface right. by figuring out where what's the least amount of information you can share mm-hmm. uh, of, of important information, right? Like not my email address, like important information. What's right. the least amount of important information uh, you can share with different, different parties. Can you, you know, use things to obscure your identity a little bit more online make sure you're not giving uh, everybody the same credit card number, you know, things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, which obviously, <laughs> I, you you teed me up semi accidentally yeah. for for a privacy bump there. You know that's that's the yeah. service that I use for exactly that. Um, and they once again they were uh, they were one of our <laughs> title partners for CES this year. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't allow any two organizations to have the same the same credit card number from me. You know, if I'm signing up for something that I think is off, uh, I might go create a new Outlook account uh, <laughs> for it. Um, you know, I use, uh, I don't know, they're a partner for, for the Pilch Point, but I use PureVPN uh, for, for all of my my important connections. Obviously, I'm not doing it on my Xbox or anything like that because that doesn't make anything better. But uh but yeah, you know, all my important connections, I go through a VPN or even uh, throw open the the Tor browser if I'm really, <laughs> really feeling froggy at any given time. <laughs> so um, another thing that I I uh, recommend, and uh, it was part of our our 2020 wrap up uh, post that we that we published. It uh it said make sure that you don't have any software that you're not using anymore things that you installed that you have abandoned because if you aren't using it it's probably not getting updated anymore because a lot of updates happen when you uh open or close a piece of software 
And so without updates, uh, that means that security holes might exist and uh, that gives a backdoor in, which is exactly what happened to Malwarebytes here. They had, they had a piece of software on their, on their exchange server that they weren't using anymore. It wasn't getting updated anymore. There was an attack surface and they got in. So it can happen on your personal computer as well. So if there's some extension or, or a weird background running tool that you don't use anymore, you used to use a team viewer all the time and now you don't, you know, don't keep it open because if it's not updating, uh, there could be holes. So that's, that's my big takeaway. Yeah, because if a if a malware company can miss an attack surface for malware, <laughs> we all can. So limit your personal attack surface. That's the that's the key there. This week's Pilch Point with Avram Pilch is proudly powered by PureVPN. The best way to protect your privacy online is with PureVPN. You can hide your online activities, say goodbye to regional restrictions, and improve your streaming quality. Plus, it is available for almost all of your devices. And you get a special price uh, and a 99-cent seven-day trial right now by going to pilchpoint.live slash purevpn. All right, Avram, you have got a demo for us that you teased well, at the top of the show. And we're <laughs> going to cross our fingers let's, on this for let's you. Let's see about that. <laughs> um, all right. First of all, I'm going to pull out the part that the part that where this is, it doesn't work yet for sure. And this over here, first of all, what's really important isn't what's this little setup what's important is this board so which i'll pull out in a minute but if i pull it out it messes up the whole thing so maybe i won't pull it out um this is a raspberry pi pico and it just this is a new board a new raspberry pi board that just came out this past thursday but wait it is not like any other raspberry pi board that's ever been made because it is not a linux computer most raspberry pi boards uh except for this are um you know, they're full-fledged computers. They run a version of Linux or there's various operating systems you can install on them and you can, you know, use them for anything you use a computer for, uh, pretty much. You can, you know, surf the web, you can install lots of programs, do your spreadsheets, whatever, and you can use them for robotics projects and things like that. This is a microcontroller board. So it is more similar, it is similar to Arduino, if you, if for the folks who are familiar with that, uh, so uh, it has 40 pins, and it has, and it can be used to control lights, motors, sensors, things like that. Um, the advantages it has over a regular Raspberry Pi are, uh, first of all, it boots; it doesn't have an operating system, so it turns on right away. Um, there's no booting, uh, and it has built-in analog to digital conversion. Uh, it's very small and it's very cheap. It's only four dollars. So wow. um, it it uses Raspberry Pi's own CPU that they, is the first CPU that they have made, the RP twenty forty, which 
for a microcontroller board is powerful. It is 133 megahertz uh, dual dual core. Now that's for a microcontroller board. If you were to try to, you know, if you had a, you know, a real computer that was running at 133 megahertz, you would say, "Wow, that's that's taking me back to 1993 or something." I was going to say you wouldn't even for get a microcontroller board. That's good. You'd barely get uh, Windows 3.1 yeah. running on that. Yes, but that's not what this is meant to be. Um, Arduino, by comparison, I think is something like normally like 32 megahertz or something. So uh, this is significantly faster than Arduino. It has two megabytes of of storage, and it has um, I think oh, some somewhere over 300 kilobytes of RAM, which for the for this kind of thing is is a lot because the goal is you know really get things like lights, motors, and joysticks running. Use very low power. Uh, be cheap, be easy to program. You can program this uh, in MicroPython or in C, and apparently there will be other things coming, like Arduino has announced that you'll be, I think they'll be able to use an Arduino language. The other thing is anybody can, just about anybody can make a Pico board, a Pico board. So, and they can do, make it look different with different number of pins, different size and features like Wi-Fi. Uh, so a lot of companies are coming out with their own uh, very shortly. All the usual uh, hobby electronics companies, Adafruit, Pimeroni, I think SparkFun, um, Arduino is going to come out with their own one. I'm sure I'm missing a few. And some of these are coming out with different models. Some have more storage, some have wireless on them uh, that this doesn't have, that the first party uh, model uh, doesn't have, uh, but so this is an entire ecosystem of stuff, uh, and you and there are already a lot of accessories coming out for it. Uh, I have a big owner in with the uh, Pimeroni, which has made um, made like a little keyboard that you can power one of these, and uh, an Explorer board where you can plug it in and you can get like a screen and motors and things. Uh, so. It's, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun and uh, people are going to find lots of ways to use this with robotics and things like that. I mean, it's not like a regular Raspberry Pi. It's not going to do like artificial intelligence or something. Uh, but uh, there's a lot that it can do because it is able to use a system called uh, PIO, PIO to give that allows it to do just more, way more advanced uh, stuff like actually output to a monitor if you attach a board to do that. Not sure why you'd want to do much with the monitor, but people have actually been able to uh, to play video off of it. So um, very interesting. So what I have here, and I have it all connected up on a breadboard. So I think we may run in. Um, every time I try to do this, some wire is not working. But this is supposed to be um a game of simon says of simon basically like remember that old game that old board game absolutely we had the lights that turn different colors Boop. so let's see Boop. so i have so i have four different colored lights here on my breadboard red yellow green blue i have a joint instead of buttons to touch i have a joystick that you would like move up for green down for red left for blue right for yellow uh it gives you a random pattern and a buzzer that beeps the tones. So let's see. 
So it did green, yellow, yellow, right? So if I have my joystick facing the correct direction, it would be green, yellow, yellow. See, it just flashed saying, good job. And now it's going to give me, now it's going to be four. It goes from three to four. Every round, it just goes up by a number. So I forgot what, I just forgot what it was. So, oops, I got it wrong. It flashed. We're still working. My son and I are still working out some of the kinks. Like we want to make it to play some kind of song when you, uh, you know, when you lose. And we had, and this is something I was trying to get done tonight, but was not working for me gotten this seven segment mm -hmm. uh thing here where it's to actually act as a scoreboard and uh was trying to get this to work and it wasn't working for me uh but um it's just kind of a demo of what you can do so we programmed this in MicroPython, which is uh, basically the same thing as python it's just uh, made for this product and you program it on another computer so you take your Windows computer or your Mac or even a Linux computer or even a regular Raspberry Pi. Uh, you connect it by USB to this and then you can install and then you uh, you can write the code to it using an editor on your computer and run it. Um, you can also have it run independently because if you create a file called mine.py, name.py, it'll just run that program when it boots. Mm -hmm. um, so when you turn, I shouldn't even say boots when you turn it on. So um, that's that's kind of the, the gist of it. Uh, this is actually upside down because the pins are facing into the board. Uh, it, it comes without the pins soldered onto it. So you have to solder your own. So I soldered them upside down on purpose, although I don't think they recommend that. <laughs> uh, the reason I did that is because the labels are on the, the labels for each pin are on the bottom. Uh, so you can see which one is for ground and which one is for because the 40 different pins some of them do different things yeah you know some of them are ground some of them are 3.3 volts um interestingly this primarily gives out 3.3 volts not 5 volts which is what arduino i think gives you i think a choice or gives you five um mm -hmm. but you know this is just ridiculously cheap um and it's spawning an entire new ecosystem um so uh, kind of exciting for people who are electronics hobbyists. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, like, like you said, the Raspberry Pi has kind of generally played in a, in a different sandbox, a similar, but a different sandbox. You know, it's a, a fully functioning computer uh, versus, versus what Arduino has, has been. And it, you know, been a, a, microcontroller a, a device controller a good centerpiece for a for a project but not um a full interactable computer on its of its own uh and so for raspberry pi to get involved in that space i think is a good thing because we've been we've been kind of limited right to to yeah. arduino and you know like we always say uh competition in a space uh brings brings wow. new ideas well, so this is a, you know, for folks who are not familiar, this is a regular Raspberry Pi, Raspberry Pi 4. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can see a huge difference in size, also a huge difference in price. This right. is at least $35 versus $4. But beyond that, um, I wanted to reach for somewhere around here. I have a Raspberry Pi Zero, 
which is, you know, all kind of comparable in price. It's $5 and it's a full-fledged computer, uh, but it doesn't have analog to digital conversion. It boots rather slowly. It's not really, you know, you can use it to do a lot of these things and a lot of people do, but, and it has Wi-Fi, so that's a plus. Um, but, you know, this is really made for, there are certain things that having a microcontroller board is is really good for. You could use this together with a Raspberry, with a regular Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is really good at, for doing certain things, for doing certain things that don't require a lot of processing power, um, but, you know, are, are moving around, you know, electronics and uh, Arduino typically, I mean, they make different ones. First of all, the first party Arduino boards cost a lot more than $4. Yes. Second of all, um, the main board that people use the Uno um well, the Uno is a lot bigger than there's the Arduino Nano, I think, mm-hmm. which is smaller and more comparable in size to this. But I think those only have something like 32 kilobytes of storage. So maybe you could fit one small program on them. This has two megabytes. You could fit quite a bit for two megabytes. And some of the third-party ones that are coming out are going to have even more, like 16 or 32 megabytes, right. which is you know like nothing if you were dealing with media files or an operating system. But is a decent amount for doing simple, simple programs that, like Simon says, program that I just did was, you know, what, like a hundred, hundred and forty lines of code. Right. So, um, and, and you know, a lot of times these types of things are used as, as device cluster controllers that are controlled by something larger. Like you said, you could use this in conjunction with a regular Raspberry Pi. You know, you could have a regular Raspberry Pi be be your your brains of your system making making decisions, running running AI, things like that, and uh, based on certain decisions, could send out commands to 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 cluster controllers to do certain things. You know, maybe ones in charge of all the motors and ones that make a thing roll, and ones can control a a turret or you know, however you want to. Con- configure your 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 clusters obviously i'm not talking on a small scale i'm talking on a larger scale but uh you know you you see you see that kind of of setup in in robotics and stuff like that all the time where these these little controllers are used as as uh essentially uh relays <laughs> to 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 be in charge of of a cluster of of sensors or or whatever so that they take the they take the onus off of the the main system, and that just deals with with the output. So there's lots of ways that also, this could could be used. Also, I think the fact that you program, I mean, Arduino primarily is programmed in Arduino language, which is, I think, I think it's some kind of variant of C, mm-hmm. but it's not something that people use in a lot of other not a lot of other places. Right. This is using MicroPython, which is pretty much Python. Python is being used so many places. I mean, it's certainly being used on the regular Raspberry Pi for a lot of stuff. Um, and so you, you know, you have a chance to write programs here that you could maybe take to other hardware, or at least you're using a common language uh, with them. So I think the fact, I mean, granted, you can also program this in other ways, like with C, 
But I think um, the fact that you can program with MicroPython really makes is really appealing because you can you're using more of the standard programming language for it too. Right. Absolutely. Um, in fact, my my time uh, on the Arduino was done entirely in C because I didn't want to <laughs> I didn't want to learn a variant, uh, and I already knew C from ages ago. So yeah, I, I totally understand the idea of, of wanting something that's, that's more universal. You know, C is, is the, the universal hardware language. So, uh, and, and Python is a cousin <laughs> of C that has, has become really popular in a lot of, a lot of hardware applications as well. So, and being, being able to be used across platforms like that, you know, I think makes them way more attractive than say the Arduino language, which is very focused on, <laughs> on an ecosystem. Uh, so are these, are these things out now or are they, are yes. they coming? Okay. Yes. As of Thursday, as okay. of last Thursday, now they're sold out in a lot of places. Of course. Yeah. Um, if you want to buy one, uh, there are a few places. So first of all, speaking to the U S audience, uh, Adafruit sells them, although I checked, today and they were out of them but they but they were in on friday so i will be i think they're only letting you buy one at a time too uh uh chicago electronics chicago chicago discs.com has them uh seed s-e-e-e-d uh has them but uh it's is, it, is that it's seed or seed studios but those are pre-order um, if you don't mind ordering from across the pond, uh, Pimeroni has has them, and they have all these accessories. So, you know, I, I feel like in a way, like I'm, I'm kind of like I should just have money taken out of my paycheck and sent directly <laughs> to them because I keep ordering more stuff. Um, but uh, they had not only do they have the boards, but they have they're the first to really have a lot of really cool accessories and they're, they were uh, on, on my podcast show on Thursday and, and we did a whole broadcast where they were showing all the stuff that is already for sale and some of the things that are going to be for sale in the next couple of weeks um, that are, so they not only have the Pico, but they have a lot of Pico uh, boards and accessories and things. And then the third party boards, um, a lot of them are, you know, being listed, but you can't buy yet as of today, but right. might be any day now. Um, Adafruit is going to have like two or three different ones. One is a tiny one that's like half the size of this. Um, you know, one is the same size as their feather board, which is another microcontroller uh, and has the same pin layout. So you can use their feather uh, ecosystem of, of, of add-ons with it. Nice. Um, you know, Pimeroni uh, is going to have also a really tiny board. And then they're going to have one that has Wi-Fi in it, a Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and there. And also it's going to come in different storage amounts. Um, Arduino is going to have one of their own. Uh, so this is a, you know, this is just had an incredible amount of third party support, even in its first few days, granted, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure all these companies had uh, at least several weeks, if not months of notice. But, right. um, you know, even in the first few days, there's a lot coming out. And I imagine 
it's just going to skyrocket. Uh, and I think one reason is not just because it's cheap, not just because uh, it can, it's a microcontroller, a nice microcontroller board, although, you know, there are other, there have been other boards that could do the same thing besides Arduino. There's been Feather, there's been, you know, a few others. But uh, the fact that it's from Raspberry Pi um, and now it's this open stand, this standard where anyone can build one, I think it's, um, I think it, it's really poised uh, to become a standard. The, the level of support for it is probably going to be through the roof uh, in terms of just the amount of people making tutorials for it, making, you know, accessories for it, etc. So, yeah. And being a, you know, speaking of which, yeah, go, be, being have a, a page of just that being an ecosystem is a, it, it, you know, is going to yeah. be a, a big thing. You'll see all kinds of not right away. You'll see you, the companies start to test the waters, but eventually you'll start to see these really weird uh, variants of it. You know, like we did with the Arduino, right? When it first, when company first started making stuff, they were all pretty, pretty normal. And now you've got all kinds of weird thing, you know, variants of Arduino that have, have, you know, rechargeable battery packs and all kinds of, you know, variants of it. And I think we'll see the same thing here because it's Raspberry Pi and people love the, the company. And I, I imagine people are going to jump on the ecosystem hard as we can see from the fact you can't buy them right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so we have, a, anyway, if you want to learn more, we have a giant hub of information on tomshardware.com. Uh, we've got a slew of tutorials that we're putting up. Uh, we're putting up new ones every day. We've got, you know, the review. We've got how to get started. Uh, all of that, all and of course, information about the different accessories uh, and boards that are coming out. So, uh, you know, we want to be your 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 Pico Central to <laughs> to find uh, more information. Very cool. Well, I'm excited about this thing. Um, as soon as I see availability somewhere, I will have to buy one myself to add to my collection of many, many, many Arduinos and Raspberry Pi devices. Uh, not quite, yeah. not quite like yours, but it, it's up there. <laughs> so yeah, I, I've now measured it and I have about 20 Raspberry Pis. Uh, okay. And I, I always need more. Like this is the only one I have sitting around that's not committed to something. I, I've got I've got a bunch of Arduinos, but not all of them are in use. So that that came about when Radio Shack went out of business and I just cleared a, a shelf into a box. So <laughs> not quite the same thing. But <laughs> as always, Abram, uh, thank you. That is uh, is definitely super, super interesting. And I uh, look forward to seeing what we talk about next. This week's Extra Life on F5 Live is probably powered by Razer. Get all the accessories you need to up your game on PC, console, or your mobile device from Razer. Whether you're looking for a gaming mouse and keyboard like we use here in the studio, a webcam and light for your Twitch stream, or an entire gaming setup like the Razer Blade 15, you can find it all at Razer by going to f5live.tv slash Razer.
So um, obviously we know that the EU has been uh, cracking down on a number of things. We talked uh, privacy stuff a little while ago, uh, but they've also been, and we've seen a lot of this over the last couple of months, they've, there've been a lot of antitrust investigations that have closed in uh, findings of, of uh, violations. And uh, one of the most recent ones was against Valve, the company behind a lot of games, as well as um, the Steam store, uh, and five uh, major publishers, Bandai Namco, Capcom, Focus Home Interactive, uh, Coke Media, and Zenimax, which uh, Zenimax is you know one of the, the largest publishers out there. Um, they were they were found to have been uh, violating the uh, digital single marketplace uh, of the EU, which basically says that any citizen of any member state can uh, shop across those member states, make purchases, uh, and use them in their home countries. But uh, Valve and these publishers had agreements that disallowed uh, for the purchase of games from countries like uh, Estonia, Hungary, Latvia, uh, and then activating those games in other countries in the EU. So you couldn't be in London, purchase the, uh, the Latvian version of a game, and then activate it in London. It would, uh, it would fail. And that's a violation of the, the EU's digital single market. So they have been fined a ton of money. Uh, together, it is 7.8 million euros, uh, which works out to roughly nine and a half million dollars. Um, uh, Focus Home Interactive was the big loser here, uh, getting hit for 2.8 uh, million uh, euros. Uh, Zenimax 1.6, Valve 1.6, and then you've got Bandai Namco for 350,000. So whatever they were up to was obviously not nearly as, (laughs) as offensive as, as what, uh, what Zenimax and, uh, and, uh, Valve and Focus Home were up to. But, you know, I, this has been a pretty standard practice in the gaming industry for a long time. Not so much all of the software industry, but certainly the gaming industry. Um, the these these geo locks on game purchases. You know, I mean, you can go back all the way to to the NES, NES, NES. Right, the cartridges were were absolutely geo locked to hardware purchased in that region. So you know, this has been a long standing industry tradition, and whether or not the publishers were actively trying to be deceitful or just are not used to a changing world. I don't know because all five publishers were very open and very cooperative with, with the regulators. Whereas valve was not, um, they, they fought every step of the way in the investigation, but the publishers were all like, if you think we did something wrong, we apologize. Take a look. Let us know. And Valve's like, get out of our offices. So very, very interesting the way everybody responded. But um, obviously the world is changing for the, for the gaming industry in a lot of ways. But this seems to be a big one.
So, first of all, I I don't agree that this is this is necessarily a lot of money. I mean, for me, it would be sure, but for uh, but for a large company, is you know three hundred forty thousand euros a lot of money? For I mean, for for Capcom, four hundred thousand is probably a lot. They've been in some pretty dire straits lately. I mean, you know, listen, nobody likes to 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 to, to burn money. Um, True, but. Uh, you know, and in fairness, this doesn't seem like it. In fairness, um, because the five publishers all cooperated, um, their their uh, hits were all reduced, uh, whereas uh, Valve was hit for the maximum they were allowed to be. So was that the whole nine million? No, that was uh, uh, one one point six million euros because they were only responsible for enforcing the the contracts that were written by the publishers. Right. Well, but to your point, I mean, I guess the question is, was it cheaper in any of these other, in any of these other countries? Yes. Like, is it cheaper to buy the game in Slovakia than it was to buy the game in France? Yes. Well, and very frequently, uh, very frequently uh, in the, in the gaming world. And it's one of the reasons why uh, regional locks have, have maintained even in a in a day of of international licensing for content because in the early days music and stuff were only licensed for countries which is why games were anyway uh, <laughs> in the days of global licensing for music and video and stuff like that um, uh, the geolocks have have been maintained because in a country uh, like Latvia right where uh, the the disposable income is not as high as say England. Uh, the games tend to retail for less uh, because they can't. You know they find their break even, and they do tend to retail for less. And uh, so that's where where geolocks have maintained, which is exactly the reason why uh, the the EU put this digital single market rule in place was so that if there was a member state that had this this lower price. That uh, that any citizen of any other member state could uh, could take advantage of it. It's it's not a bad idea. It's actually one of the things that keeps getting floated here for for insurance. The fact that we can't buy uh, insurance cross state is one of the reasons why the prices stay so high. Uh, you can't shop around, and so I think I think this actually does help overall prices. Uh, which is why the geolocking probably was so strong is because they were they were afraid of people taking so, advantage of it. So this is interesting to me because it seems like what what you would end up having there though is not lower prices for everyone but higher prices but the same price for everyone that is probably the highest. Yes. But at the same so what the companies are trying to do, and I kind of, I, empathy's the wrong word. I, I understand why the companies would want to do this. Is look, normally we don't want to charge. Let's say it's a sixty dollar. Let's go by U.S. currency. It's a six. A lot of AAA games sure. are sixty dollars. You know, normally we want to charge sixty dollars for this game. We think it's a, we think Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is a sixty dollar game. Right. 
and we could not. And if we were going to charge everyone around the world thirty dollars for this game, we 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 couldn't we couldn't do it. We couldn't have you know we, we couldn't make the margin that we need. Right. But we'd never pay for the. We have a country, but we have a country like Latvia, Lithuania, whatever country it is. I'm I'm not really sure what what the um you know this the the per capita income or standard of living or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I mean, all these countries are using the same currency. So, but the purchase sense, power is not necessarily the same. But people may not be as you know as affluent, and they may not have right. as many of the euros, right? right? So, so what they're trying to do is probably say like, well, we wouldn't sell that many of these in Lithuania at all, uh, you know. But now, if we cut the price to forty dollars or something, uh, our studies show that we could. We could sell more, and it would be worth our while, right? Even though we're not getting what we think we should. The Walmart business, unit. the Walmart business model, it increased sales at a lower margin. There's a break even where right. it makes more sense to do that, and that's the that's the number they found. Right, and we'll say forty dollars because it's a pretty dice even round number. But, but, if I'm them and I think I really need to, to make this work for me, I really need to, to for, for the majority of markets, I need to get $60 for this game. What the end result is going to be is that I'm just going to charge people $60 for the game everywhere. Now, that's very transparent. Mm-hmm. You're not putting one over on people. But, um, you know, at the same time, those folks, in, you know, there will be sales lost. And there will be people in, in Lithuania who won't be able to get it. You know, so yeah, you know, there's um, there's there's two sides to this sure to this coin now, and you know, certainly it, there are things. It where... could depend on you know, it could depend on the 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 digital good being sold, right? Um, in in the case of of video games, the 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 end result could very well be, and would likely be, um, uh, that everybody pays sixty dollars and we're done with with regional pricing but another digital good may go a different way right we don't we don't know how that might break down but in the video game case i'm totally with you in fact i uh i i put in the article i said essentially the eu is looking for companies to prevent offering better prices on digital goods to citizens of countries with lower lower disposable incomes right now on the flip side of this though it is region locks are very annoying. So, <laughs> you know, their region locks are very, very, are very, very annoying. So, I have three I mean, super. I have three Super Nintendos. One North American, <laughs> one Japanese, and one European, because of region yeah, locks. Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of, I think that stuff is. I I hate that. I also hate. You know, with uh, I mean, with Blu-rays and mm-hmm. and DVDs before, like, oh, you know, maybe you went on vacation and you saw something you wanted to get it. Now you saw a DVD or a Blu-ray and you wanted to get it. Maybe it's even something that they don't have out here mm-hmm. in where you live, and now you can't play it. So, like, right, that's because you'd have to have um, you'd you have know. to have a Region Three DVD uh, Blu-ray player to be able to play it. Yeah, so that's. You know, I I hate that. That's that's terrible. Um, I mean, is there? Could they? Could they do? Could they region not region lock the product, but region lock the sales? 
Um, so like you can only buy it from this place if you're coming with the Lithuanian IP address. No. That would also be against it. Yes. Any okay. citizen of oh. any member state can purchase any digital good from any other member state. I mean, that's how you have, it's, you know, it's a, it's a fair, you know, it's a. It now, is an is interesting this, concept. Is this, it is. Is Does this also apply to things like, to services like Spotify? Fair question. I don't know. Um, it, it only references digital goods, um, but it does not say if, sir, it does not. I did not see a definition of whether services were classified as digital goods or not. Because that that could come down to, to regional licensing uh, of which uh, music music can be regionally licensed for content, for streaming and things. So probably uh, services don't qualify. But purchases probably do. Purchases of music, you know, iTunes probably classifies but apple music doesn't just a guess based on on the fact that i know that the eu allows uh national uh licensing of of media so probably not i don't know it's it's all very strange it is a it's an interesting an interesting suit um and definitely shows that the gaming industry is not quite ready for some of these seismic shifts that we've seen in uh, in laws over the last couple of years, um, whether whether or not they'll get on board uh, is is yet to be seen. But uh, we do know that other country other companies have have fought these types of things, and we will talk about one of those in just a second. This week's news from the tubes and F5 Live is probably powered by Rift Tracks. Make fun of movies or let these guys do it for you. Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy, the former stars of Mystery Science Theater 3000, are back and doing what they do best, creating commentaries for Hollywood blockbusters and B-movie oddities. It's like watching a movie with your funniest friends. And to find out about all the feature films, these short films, uh, TV episodes, and live events, you can go to f5live.tv slash tracks with an X. So uh, that company that has been consistently vocal on uh, licensing... Uh, particularly internet licensing, has been Google. We have seen them uh, oftentimes specifically targeted um, and oftentimes by countries at the behest of companies that don't quite understand where the balance lies with Google search. Let me explain. Uh, We have seen um, a lot of governments go after Google on behalf of news organizations who believe that being listed on Google uh, should either be uh, a licensed agreement or that they should not be allowed to list even the the headline of an article in their search engine. Uh, Spain. Well, that's funny because you can, you can exclude yourself as right? a webmaster. You can do that. Absolutely, you can. And yet, 
Their goal is to try and force Google to pay for the right to index their content. Uh, we saw Spain try and implement something pretty draconian a number of years ago. And so uh, Google said, all right, we will shut down Google News in Spain. See ya. Uh, that was in 2014. By 2017, the law was completely changed and uh, Google News had returned. Um, France recently tried to put in something mid-tier annoying um, and not and I say mid-tier because we'll wait until the third one uh, so France tried to do something kind of mid-tier annoying and Google went uh, to the country and they made an agreement and they helped kind of steer the law in a way that the news groups would would appreciate and would not force Google to leave the country entirely uh, that set up uh, was officially announced this past week. Um, the details of which are fairly unimportant. They will pay the news organizations to be able to to index and then Google News snippet uh, uh, high-profile articles. Basically the same thing that happened in Spain. However, <laughs> in Australia, the thing that they have pitched is so patently insane that the founder of the World Wide Web felt the need to get involved. And he said that this law was a fundamental misunderstanding of how the web works. Here's what they want. They want Google to pay the news organizations to include a link of any type anywhere on their sites to a news article. So I guess, thank God, uh, Google plus is gone because that would have shut them down <laughs> in an hour and a half. But, um, the other countries have all taken offense to Google news, the service of Google news in particular. Uh, they have not really taken offense to the idea of Google search showing news articles and results. It's been, it's always been about the snippets on the Google news site, both Spain and France. Uh, and then the European commission a couple of years ago have all taken a offense to the snippets. Australia is taking offense to the idea of linking to an article which is insane. I argue all you want over snippets and the value of, of, you know, losing some people to being able to get their answer to whatever they're looking for from the snippet. Avram, you and I have talked about this a ton. Yeah. It, well, it, it is, it is such, you know, listen, I, I actually really, and I'm not, I'm not in a disinterested party here. Like, <laughs> this is this is my day job yeah. right like um we 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 love google we depend on google uh but we also know that that like google is not there to be nice to to news publishers right. google is there to um to increase its own traffic and its own revenue so um some of which, by the way, comes from those same publishers because Google runs the ad service, ad services uh, like AdSense or whatever that run on 
on those sites in the first place. So that's another story. But um, it it creates, um, I mean, Google excerpting content is, is is controversial. Like people want to be in that top spot. They want the, so to be there. They want their stuff excerpted. At the same time, uh, and we really don't have a good way of knowing this, of knowing this for sure. Being in and this doesn't just apply to news, by the way. This applies to all information because, um, you know, if you search for like best laptops or how to how to do something, very often you'll get a snippet box in Google, which means you'll get quote from that article, and you if and the information there might be enough for you not to leave Google. It might be it might your your answer might be right there. Mm -hmm. You might not have to click through at all. And if you don't have to click through at all, then most people never people, will. Uh, then people are going, you know, people are, are doing work. You know, they're, they're writing articles, providing information. Google is benefiting from the information, but the publisher isn't. Right. So uh, in fairness, I, I get I always yeah. click on the link even if the answer is in the snippet on google or bing because i know how important it is but yes. for most uh, but again a it's a little bit of inside baseball right it's <laughs> i know how yeah, it works I, and so i go out of my way to make sure that i i exert that force but the majority of people either don't know how it works or don't care they got their answer they're moving on <laughs> Right, exactly. So, so that's so I understand why, like regulators in different countries are taking up that that issue because, mm -hmm. like, the to be fair, the the publishers alone really can't don't have enough power to right. do anything about it. Right. Like, what can you do? You you can say Google don't list me. You can do that. Like Google Google is happy not to list you. There, you can sign up to have your stuff not indexed. But as you, you have said, I would say, as you have said, you how much of your traffic comes from Google? I mean, we get, we get so much. Yeah, we get reports on it. It's so much. 75%. You can't. Yeah, 75% you, you of my content comes from, from Google and Bing. <laughs> yeah, you, so you can't, you can't, um, you know, you can't ignore Google. You you don't even want to to annoy the Google God because, right. like that's that's where your traffic comes from. Because you don't and want your page rank to go down algorithm. because they get mad at you. Yeah. Um, so so you know, I I understand now. I I understand why the publishers want to do something about it. Yeah. Why the publishers are pressuring governments to do something about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I also understand why. Uh, on the other hand, Google Google's side of this, which is we're trying to provide people with good information, and hey, look, we're linking to you. Um, and you know, there is uh, a there is a, a valid conversation to be had there. Spain, France, the EU, absolutely a valid conversation, and it has happened several times. Right? They've gotten into a conversation and they've found terms that work. But this Australia thing is different. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's crazy. But it, it also brings back, uh, it, it also brings to mind. Do you remember when British Telecom was trying to 
sue uh, over the idea of hyperlinking and get licensing for every hyperlink on the internet? Yes. This is going back like more than 20 years, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and that was that was the last time that I can really remember uh, Berners-Lee going, like actively coming out swinging <laughs> into a, into a, 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 a hearing was that and now this. I mean, there was the Yahoo well, thing on podcasting a couple years ago, but not really. He was pretty calm about that, but he came out swinging in that hearing and he came out swinging in this one too. See, I think the easiest way to look at this is don't look at this. Well, first of all, I think the internet has been around and the World Wide Web has been around long enough that people really should. And I think the government of Australia obviously does understand how the internet works. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no excuse now. Yeah. Even, you know, we, even like, even people who are 80, 90 years old and didn't grow up with computers should understand this easily and probably do. But I think the easiest way to look at this is look at it as if it were people talking to each other offline. Mm -hmm. So if I come to you and I, and you say to me, Hey, where do I, uh, where's, where do I go to find this information? Like, oh, I think, and I'm a librarian or something. Go to that shelf, pick out that book. Mm -hmm. I think that'll have your. I think that'll have the answer for you. Or hey, where's 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 my new where's a nearby uh, hot dog restaurant? Oh, there's one around the corner. You know, is the hot dog restaurant seriously going to charge ask me for money for telling you to go there? Right. That would be quite uh, weird. That'd be quite strange and arrogant. Uh, you know, is the, is the publisher of the book going to charge the librarian money for telling, uh, you to go get that book from shelf from aisle three? Right. Uh, um, like now that's, and, and that's you know, crazy. right. That's absolutely crazy. But on the, on the Spain, France, EU thing, are they, could they potentially charge you for the, the right to, to read the book? in public yeah okay i get that right you can, right exactly like i can i get that i can tell you where the i can tell you that's the difference between linking and excerpting exactly I can tell you where the book is no problem that's sh that should not be in question at all like but if i then but if i xerox the first three pages the first 10 pages of the book and i give it and i'm like well the book's over there but he also here's the first 10 pages yeah. of the book in xerox um, like I get it why the people who publish the book would not be happy. Absolutely. Or like the hot dog stands over there, but here's, but here's a plate of free hors d'oeuvres. Like, yeah. the, uh, I mean, the, obviously all of a sudden the place, the place or, or, or a resource that you're referring to, Hey, you, you took away some of what I was trying to provide. Yeah. But, um, but if but just to simply for me to give you directions to go there, yeah. you should be happy. Right. So I think Australia is getting I think Australia is getting confused. Um, you know, at, at best, it is definitely a misunderstanding. Uh, but they are well within their rights to be concerned about, you know, about the intellectual property. Rights. Sure. I it mean, just seems thing, the example, solution that, is wrong. But in in fairness, yeah. over the. 14 years that we've been doing this show we have talked about a lot of times that australia has 
identified a problem and found a very weird solution to it. The fact that Left 4 Dead had to change their cover <laughs> in Australia. Listen, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's always, listen, there's always, I don't want to particularly pick on Australia. ACDC comes from Australia, so I can't <laughs> say too much bad about them. I mean, so does Paul Hogan and Jacko, but, you know, uh, but, and Yahoo serious, but, um, but the, uh, but, you know, the, we can't be too, we can't be too mean to Australia. Listen, honestly, lots of, lots of, of local uh, or, or national governments have, um, have strange uh, misunderstandings of technology. Yeah. We've had many here many here in the United States, we could have a wonderful session about section 230. Uh, you know, I would love, I would love to talk section 230 anytime because there's been a horrible misunderstanding about it going on mm-hmm. here in the United States for the last several months where people think that section 230 allows censorship, but actually section 230 is preventing a lot of censorship. Yes. So, so, you know, again, I don't think uh, we in the United States are uh, can really cast cast too many aspersions of other countries. I mean, we're we're the we're the ones that prevented Netflix from having a, a button that allowed you to share what you watched uh, on Facebook because uh, some federal judge had a movie rental store uh, tell the news that he bought uh, he rented a pornographic film. Um, yes. <laughs> The solutions to yeah. problems are oftentimes weird when it comes to governments. <laughs> yes. That's my favorite. I I will never forget that story. It is one of my all-time favorite stories we've ever covered on the show. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I think this Australia thing, um, Google has said that... Uh, that if, it, if this goes into effect, they will shut their search engine down in Australia, and I believe them, <laughs> because they did it in China... Uh, they shut Google News down in Spain. They have a track record of backing up these threats uh, when they directly affect uh, either the the ethics of the company or the bottom line of the operations. And this would definitely affect the bottom line. I don't think I don't think there's a way that Google could continue to be profitable within Australia if they had to pay pages to be able to link to them. You know, so. I my guess is this doesn't go into effect. Uh, this was an open hearing for a proposed law, and I mean, anytime you can get Google and Berners Lee on the same page, because it they don't always see eye to eye. To get them to both see eye to eye and argue uh, in Parliament <laughs> on the same side, you know, you're probably not going to get away with whatever it is you're trying. So that's. That's my cast. This week's DRM not included in F5 Live is probably powered by Amazon Prime. You know you get free shipping, but you get a whole lot more. You get free music with Amazon Prime Music, free TVs, movies, and documentaries with Prime Video, free games, and a free Twitch subscription with Amazon Prime Gaming, and a whole lot more. To learn more, to get quick links to all of these features and more, 
uh, to get a 30-day free trial if you're not already a member or to be able to purchase it as a gift for a friend or family member. You can find all of that by going to f5live.tv slash prime. All right, we've talked about this service a couple of times in the past, uh, not usually in the positive. <laughs> the service is uh, AT&T TV Now, formerly DirecTV Now. Uh, it was the streaming cable alternative that AT&T came out with right after they bought DirecTV, and it has been plagued with problems and chaos since the first day. Uh, they saw huge numbers right away, but that's because... AT&T had these massive discounted uh, plans and a lot of AT&T wireless subscribers, I guess it's technically AT&T mobility subscribers, um, uh, got free subscriptions for a year or whatever to the to the DirecTV Now. But as those promos ended, uh, so did most people's interactions with it. We saw uh, price hikes, the $35 plan, uh, from when the service launched today is seventy nine ninety five, uh, or at the end of our story was seventy nine ninety five. Uh, it had more than doubled in the like two and a half years since it launched, um, to the point where the price is higher than most cable subscriptions and comes with less channels. So it wasn't a great option for most people. So many subscribers fled that AT&T lied in their uh, SEC filings uh, and in their quarterly reports on how many subscribers they had, trying to lump it in with DirecTV, uh, and they were sued by investors because the lies were uncovered. The, the SEC has gotten involved. The FTC has gotten involved. Uh and so to try and get away from it all, they renamed it AT&T TV Now, which is a lot to say. That's too many T's in a row uh, for me. Um, but uh, that didn't work out real well because at the exact same time, they also launched a competitor to the service called AT&T TV. <sighs> which Abram and I, you, you and I have talked about this a lot how companies keep creating competitors to their own services. <laughs> and these launched within like 10 days of each other, um, which is bonkers. It didn't stem the, 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 the bleed. And uh, as of now, uh, as of the end of last week, there were uh, about 600,000 subscribers left on the service down from, uh, at eight and a half, eight point nine million or something at its height, um, and so it is no more. Uh, if you are currently a subscriber and are a glutton for punishment and plan to stay with it instead of switching over to AT and T TV, which offers the same thing with no contract and lower prices, which you're welcome to do, um, uh, you can and it will continue to work, um, but. Even the website now says AT&T TV. <laughs> you should consider this. It's better. So what a long and weird winding road um, of never good things. <laughs> I mean, really, it's just very hard to um, run a service like that that's going to that relies on so much licensing yeah. 
so much, you know, I mean, I guess the idea was that this would be, this would be a, uh, you know, a, a, uh, an improve for cord cutters who don't really want to cut the cord. Mm -hmm. Um, but it ended up being as expensive or more expensive of just getting paying for cable. Uh, so I think, I think what they probably found is that they had to pay the same kind of licensing fees that cable providers have to pay. Yeah. And therefore couldn't really, uh, couldn't really make it, uh, make it worth it. And that the infrastructure, I honestly, I think a lot of the companies who have gotten into this space, because we've seen this time and again, uh, with only one exception, um, and that's, that's sling, uh, the, all the companies who have gotten in, whether it be Sony or Google or uh, AT&T slash DirecTV, uh, Hulu, so Disney, the, the thing that I think everybody thought was that the infrastructure would be less expensive. Maybe, maybe not even the licensing, but certainly the infrastructure. We can have DirecTV without having to own and operate satellites in space. Awesome. But it is so wrong because the amount of computing power that's required to power that many streaming devices isn't less expensive. Your satellites are already up in space, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the issue, too, is that, like, the the provide, the, the content providers, the, the channels are just, you know, they're probably not going to they're probably not going to make it easy yeah. on a service like that. Sure. They've fought uh, I hard. Mean, I mean, for example, wouldn't you love to be able to get your cable uh, without getting certain channels? And yet there's some channels that everybody pays for on basic, like on the their basic plan, whether they want it or not. Yep. And you're so everyone is paying for it. Like there was a thing here in New York a few years ago, right? I don't know how much it is now, but like every cable subscriber every month or something was paying something like two or three dollars for the Yankees network, mm -hmm. whether you care whether or not. they were a baseball fan or not. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that you know, that that's kind of kind of crappy if you're uh, if, if you if you're not a baseball fan and you've got to pay for it. Yep. You know. So fortunately, we've started a to lot see of situations like that. We've started to see on on cable some some a la carte type options. There have been some contracts that have been that have been created that you can do that. I know I'm on an a la carte at home um, uh, and I checked because I was very, very interested in this. I checked. Uh, they do not pay carriage fees on networks that you do not have. So so there's that. Um, but it's very limited. You only get 10 stations plus your locals, uh, which for me is fine because I don't care. I don't really watch a whole lot of TV. That's not the locals anyway. It's really all I wanted. Um, but, uh, but it, I mean, you do get to get around carriage fees, which, you know, these days there's been a lot of talk about, you know, who you're, who you're supporting with your dollars, you know, the idea of, of responsible consumerism is starting to hit cable as well because there's a lot of question over a lot of networks, right? And so, uh, you know, yeah. the option to not pay carriage fees is nice, but it's uncommon. Uh, 
they don't even advertise the plan that I'm on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they, they threw mean, it at me as I said, I your, think I'm done with cable. <laughs> and they're like, oh, hold on, hold on. We we have this option. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, so I. I think I think it's just you know it's difficult because the the, the content providers don't want to change. Yeah. So you can't you can't really beat you can't really beat cable. Um, what people are going to be doing and are doing is going straight to the content providers by buying streaming from them, and obviously you end up creating a cable like environment anyway, mm -hmm. right? Oh, I have to have HBO Max and Netflix and Amazon Prime Video and Hulu and CBS All Access and maybe Peacock. Anyway, Paramount Plus. Right. Paramount yes. Plus so, next month. It's it won't be CBS All Access anymore. Paramount Plus. They they finally wow. announced the switchover date next month. <laughs> cool. So you so you see it, it's it's all the same. The worst is when you have to do both. You're paying for cable and <laughs> Hey, wait a second. I also have to pay for for this streaming stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I there there's definitely a lot of chaos out there. And you know, the part part of the reason why these services like DirecTV Now, AT&T TV Now, uh YouTube TV, Hulu with Live have have struggled on pricing is because of things like you know, uh uh Peacock offering uh, national broadcast and in some markets local broadcast um, CBS All Access at one point I don't know if it rolled out nationally but CBS All Access was running uh, the the local CBS affiliate through your service in 38 markets um, I don't know if it ever rolled out nationally or if they abandoned it uh, NBC uh, had that ability uh, ABC at one point had it you know they they were all trying to do it locally um, in their own platforms and so they were fighting the idea of doing it on other streaming services because they wanted to be in charge because uh zvidia what was it called i don't know zen zendia zen do you remember the the service from years ago oh i can't remember it now there was the tv antenna one and then there was the other one and both of them the locals got mad at the tv antenna one more so though doesn't matter. Uh, Nick was obsessed with the TV antenna one because he could see broadcast. He could see blacked out games from New York. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, and obviously that put them out of control of certain things. And so you started to see the locals come to other places and that affected YouTube and this thing and everybody else. Anyway, AT&T now has just one, uh, one live and one non-live streaming service. They've got AT&T TV. And they've got HBO Max. And that's that is their lineup for right now. Hopefully, hopefully they'll hold the line for a little while and not try and confuse us anymore with similarly named services. Well, that is our show, our first full show of the year. It's hard to believe that we're saying that at the end of January, but uh, January is always weird for us with with CES and it wasn't any less so because we had to tear the studio apart for that so it is what it is but it's good to be back um, and we're back for the for the foreseeable future um, I don't 
I don't think anything of, of value. I mean, I think the Super Bowl is coming up and for once I, even though apparently Tampa's going and it's happening here, still couldn't care less. So, uh, and I think Abram feels the same way. So, yeah. so um, we're here for the foreseeable future. And so uh, we will see you over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and uh, if you want a whole lot more from us, pluckitslive.com slash CES. We've got a ton of interviews, over a hundred interviews we did in three days. It was exhausting and it hasn't stopped being with all the editing and publishing, but there's a lot of stuff in there. So definitely check it out. And I guess with that, on behalf of the staff that's not here, I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we will see you back next time. Ciao.